Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast. I am your host with the most time on his hands. I am Thomas Tipple. FF. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to have this episode. Uh, we are joined today for the last guest of our insane run over the last two or three weeks. But uh, last does definitely not mean worse, especially in this scenario. Uh, big, big time stuff coming up for us. Of course, we are presented by Underdog Fantasy now. So big shout out to them. You can also go and check out and subscribe to the Dynasty Vipers Network, where you can also find this show and all of our shows. As I mentioned, I am Thomas Tipple. You find me at Thomas Tipple FF. And last year against the Green Bay Packers, Marquise Brown joined Chris Carter and Jermaine Gresham as the only non-running backs to post 10 receptions in under 50 yards in NFL history. Yeah, my name is Jacob Sanderson. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore RTGB. And I was a little late for the bus this morning, but I had to run to the bus stop and I ran much faster than Jalen Weidermeyer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I wanted to jump right in, but that was a good one. That was a very good one. Uh, I'm Billy. You can find me on Twitter at BigBillyFF. The Packers just traded away their number two receivers since 2000 in terms of receiving yards, but luckily their number five receiver since 2000 in terms of receiving yards, is still on the team. Randall Cobb season, baby. Let's go. Oh, no. Dave is going to be so upset. You didn't give it to Lazard. (laughs) (laughs) He's a a ways down that list. As as I mentioned, we are joined today uh, by a very special guest. He's director of analytics for uh, Roto Underworld, playerprofiler.com, and thebreakoutfinder.com. That, of course, is Josh. Thanks, guys. So when you... Thomas, when you were like, you need a fun fact for the start of the show. I don't know why, but I didn't immediately go, oh, it's obviously a fantasy football fun fact. So I was going to let everyone know. <laughs> oh, it doesn't I have can, to be. I, can solve Rubik, I, I once can solve gave a Rubik's fun cubes, fact but... about dolphins and oh, their, their stomach. Josh, you're a Rubik's Cube guy? Hang on. I'm a Rubik's Cube guy, but I'll, I'll give uh, one of my right, favorite fun facts because I always like to pound the drum for running backs that catch passes. It's kind of the cheat code in PPR. And many people have heard me say this before, but I'll say it anyway because I think it's just crazy. Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 last season. He had a phenomenal year. If you take Christian McCaffrey's 2019 season and take away every single touchdown he scored, he scored a lot of them. Take them all away, he still averaged more points per game in PPR formats than Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, mind you, had 20 touchdowns last year. So he scored a lot of fantasy points, but McCaffrey without the touchdown still would have been higher. Always target running backs who get targets. That's it's absolutely insane what he did in in 2019. I imagine that everyone that had either Lamar Jackson or Christian McCaffrey definitely walked away with titles. And there were some people out there that got both. And it was just it's game over for everyone else. Josh, we want to thank mm-hmm. you for joining us uh, here on the program. They're actually the third person now from player profiler to join us as we obviously had the pod father himself and Cody Carpentier uh, shout out to uh, Rappaport and uh, Mac oh, yeah. for getting that one wrong today, but big ups like having boots on the ground for the Willis workout. Absolutely insane. One thing we like to do before we get really in depth into the fantasy football question style content, uh, obviously lots of news has happened over the last week. We can have two weeks and mm-hmm. it's been hit on by everyone on Twitter, the 672,000 other podcasts. Uh, so we like to just go through it as quick as we can. 
But the only real news today was Leonard Fournette, which I think most of us kind of saw coming anyway. I just want to ask you, Josh. That's the perfect guy on for Fournette hype. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hype him up. He's definitely going to be overdrafted now for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, by Josh. What could be left in free agency <laughs> outside, of, <laughs> outside of Baker being traded for the seventh round pick that he deserves? Uh, what could be left uh, in free agency that will surprise everybody? So I think at this point, aside from Baker, it's really just what happens with that Green Bay receiver room. That's really the only thing I can see where people, at least fantasy gamers, will get excited about it because the the only other potential domino would be Garoppolo. I think that's going to happen a lot later. I think Lance's price is going to dip because of it. It's going to make for a nice buying opportunity since from what I've read about that Garoppolo surgery, he won't be able to throw for another three or four months. Yeah. So it's actually, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to trade for him if I was a team, knowing that we he's already not a great quarterback and that he's not going to be throwing the football until, what, June, July. So I think when that happens, that'll be some type of news where he goes. But at this point, it's basically just Baker and then, uh, I don't know, whoever ends up going to Green Bay to catch passes there because right now, what is it? It's... Randall Cobb, did they did they re-sign Alan Lazard, or is that still not even happening? I think it's in the uh, air. I don't think they officially. I don't, I don't know. even I think it officially. I will. Happened. I will ask his agent, Tunyon Dave Flugie. Yeah, they they, they brought <laughs> Tunyon back. Yeah, Tunyon. They have Amari Rogers, who God, very uninspiring. Yeah. I remember being so it. So this is so fun. Fun fact about my introduction to player profile was that I loved Amari Rogers. I loved him. And then Jacob DM'd me his screenshot of his athletic testing. And then other people that tested that poorly. And I immediately went, I got to go on this site more because it's going to save me from drafting guys (laughs) like Amari Rogers. And no doubt that's how I found the site. uh, 100%. But even for the green Bay Packers, I'm going to send this to Billy Uh, Julio Jones, Jarvis Landry, Will Fuller. He's definitely going to Cleveland. T Y Hilton, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, AJ Green, Keelan Cole, Sammy Watkins. These are the free agent receivers and injured Odell. Like, who on here is really going to make you excited as a fan? Uh, not a lot. I, I'd love to see Julio <laughs> in Green Bay. Uh, I, I'm always on the side of fun. And uh, healthy Julio is a fun Julio. Unfortunately, a healthy Julio is about 40% of Julio nowadays. Mm. So I, I'd love to see him there. Jarvis, I mean... If Baker is that bad, Jarvis might still have some stuff in the tank. Uh, I mean, I we picked up a first for Adams. I'm hoping finally we're going to draft a wide receiver in the first round. We almost hopefully have two. To win this you better point. get two. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I can't wait for us to draft another cornerback. Like it, it's going to be so great this draft show where I have to bang my head into a wall. But uh, all in all, I. All prospects point to us signing a vet, whoever that may be, maybe Julio, that'd be fun. And then just beefing up our wide receiver core for the future with draft picks. It's not great, Bob. It's not great. No, it's not. I hope that Billy is wrong because I've already pre-ordered my Julio Jones Colts jersey. You get 50% (laughs) off discount if you order it uh, before he actually signs with the team. Uh, (laughs) For that's someone who preaches economic moves, that seems, well, seems well, pretty it, bold. It was a joke, Billy. Yes, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so was mine. 
Oh, okay. Uh, this is okay. What you're doing now is you're you're like the guy who like posts something on Twitter and then gets like ratioed, and they're like, "It was a joke," and then it's like, "Was it actually?" Or <laughs> we got uh, we got have, Jameson uh, FNL yeah. member here. Uh, DJ just dropped his latest mock Olave and Dotson to Green Bay. You happy with it. that? I, I mean, yeah. I would be so pumped with that just for the, like the I, sake of content, right? Like, I mean, yeah. in terms of like the analytics versus film wars on twitter like what would possibly be better Constant. than the two senior declare um wide receivers going to aaron Rodgers in round one like that's just incredible content let's and burn it up i don't even necessarily know what my opinion would be on it yet but i know it would be entertaining um just to see people get really upset online so i support that i also just feel like just so much disrespect that melvin gordon has not been talked about yet uh I've been like out here standing for Mel Go for weeks. Uh, And I I do think that's a big domino, both where he goes and what it says for Javante. Uh, Just, I think the longer he sits out there on the market, I think that the higher chance that maybe he returns to Denver, we we got that initial report that it wasn't going to happen on the first day of free agency. Um, And I think that was probably true at the time, but you know, who knows what's going on? Maybe he's been waiting out. Maybe he hasn't been getting the contract he wants. Maybe he returns and doubles back to Denver uh in a week or so if he continues to not get that so that that interests me if, um if gordon ends up with like a chase edmund style contract people are going to be very upset i mean it depends it really depends in where denver. he goes like i'm mm-hmm. yeah maybe i mean i i still don't i still I think it's unlikely that. he signs in denver but i think it's more likely now than it was like two weeks ago um and i mean it, it i'm so interested to see where he goes like I, i'm yeah, su- I, i'm kind of surprised I still think it's possible he goes to like Buffalo. Like they've obviously wanted to add running backs. I'm not sure Duke Johnson is everything that they hoped and dreamed for. Uh, you know, Chiefs have been awfully quiet. We'll we'll see. I mean, I, I just think there's interesting mm-hmm. spots still for Melvin. It, is a uh, is Atlanta spending any money right now? I feel like they could throw five million. Yeah, well, they have Gordon. like seventy million in dead cap. So <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of dead cap. They signed Cordero. <laughs> they signed Damian Williams. Uh, also, like I don't want Melvin to go to Atlanta. I don't want anyone in Atlanta right now. Like, it's just a depressing <laughs> well, place. What a what a. Marcus Mariota, baby. Let's talk quick about Fournette because we have Josh here okay. is like the perfect pro Fournette person, and I, I put out my Fournette thoughts today and and got like got a lot of people very upset uh about it um as as people often get emotionally invested in leonard fournette debates on one side or the other and every alternating year the other side is correct um (laughs) we we really just trade them off so my my take on fournette is like if you're buying fournette prior to this like obviously that's just a massive win and it was probably sharp to do so uh, because it was always likely that he would sign. It was always like he would end up in a spot where you have a big workload uh, and especially coming back. Like Full he just load. has this, this not uh fantasy role, right? Last year. I mean, if you're playing DFS, like he was often the highest projecting running back on the slate, you know, up close to Jonathan Taylor, just in terms of the goal line touchdown expectancy, how often he gets for targets. It's just awesome. Um, I, I just like have, Literally, I, I couldn't possibly have less interest in paying his redraft price. Like, I, I would be stunned if he's not going around the one-two turn, just based on like big projection, as Ben called it last week, the projection industrial complex. They've started yeah. to come out with <laughs> with um, with their initial projections. They have him inside the top ten, which makes sense. He probably should be projected inside the top ten. Um, but we talked last week about sort of my feelings on running back projections, and there's just so much fragility with Leonard. 
Yes, he got he got signed in the perfect spot. It wasn't a massive contract, seven million dollars AAV, kind of similar to the almost exact same as the Connor contract. Similar it's a contract, average yeah. annual annual value to the Evans contract, albeit with an extra year, and uh, quite similar to like the Chris Carson contract from last year. So to me, that's not impervious to them still adding someone in the draft or, or looking for supplementary talent. And Fournette, like he has a really fantasy friendly skill set in terms of what he's able to do. He still has never been actually a value adder on his touches. He's never had a season in the top 35 of yards created per touch. He's never had a season in the top 20 of juke rates, career high is 24. Uh, and he's a person where even in this one season of his career, we had over 20 expected fantasy points per game back in his last year in Jacksonville. He was, he was at 17. So basically his entire fantasy production is tied to whatever his workload is because he's not adding fantasy points really on his opportunities. So to me, like if he's drafted at that projected price, take in the existing fragility that exists with any running backs injury potential, add in the age fragility, add in to me, what's just like talent fragility compared to other running backs going in that range. And it seems just really gross to me to pay that big of an opportunity cost for Lenny, but I'm interested to see what you guys say, because I, I'm the Lenny hater. Uh, and you know, I'm, I, we had this fight of a Lenny like two years ago and, and then last year was Zeke. And I guess I'm back to Lenny now. <laughs> Josh. So, so before I dive into Fournette, I just want to get this take on the air. It's been marinating. I think Tyler Lockett traded to the Packers. Good for both sides. Nice. I like that. He can play Josh, in the slot. Like he can play it. outside. <laughs> and I, I think Rogers would love him. Just the a receiver that does everything well. Very no nonsense. So I like that fit. When it yeah, comes like to that. Fournette, here is what I love about Leonard Fournette. And I, I totally understand, not the most efficient guy with any advanced metric. There's really nothing that makes him look good aside from knowing that he gets goal line carries and targets. But here's what I think people need to remember about Leonard Fournette is that he is trusted by Tom Brady. And if I were to choose one person on this earth to say, here is my favorite talent evaluator. I know, I know, uh, I know Drew always chooses Lance Zerline. It's a great pick. I personally would choose Tom Brady. I would say he's been <laughs> in the league a long time. He's seen a lot of players on every at every position. He decided last year that Leonard Fournette was the guy he wanted out there on pretty much every snap. The most important drives of the game, the least important drives of the game. It didn't matter. He wanted Fournette by his side. And to me, that's a very ringing endorsement. And yes, I can look at the stats and it, He's kind of a conundrum where you're like, wow, this guy's inefficient. He's going to lose his job, but he got the contract. It's enough money that he looks like the entrenched starter. And if Tom Brady likes him, that's what I'm going to defer to. So I'm curious where his price ends up going. And like, I found out about the Fournette news this morning because someone in a league of mine in Dynasty offered me the 204. And they were going to, and I was going to give up Fournette and my third. And I was like, what the heck is this? Why did I get this offer? And I was like, oh, he just signed in Tampa Bay. Like, haha, sucker. Like, yeah. nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I that, that's kind of my take is that if Brady trusts him, I have to see kind of where he goes, but I don't I don't think the one-two turn is crazy for him. Just thinking about the running back landscape right now and kind of which players are going there in drafts, it's like Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris. I mean, neither of those guys are players that I love. I mean Joe Mixon, who I, I do like since I think his situation is getting so much better this next year. But if you just think about those running backs, like Najee Harris, he's going to be getting fewer dump-offs probably with Trubisky. The offense could be horrible again. 
<laughs> no, just not an efficient player either. Dalvin mm. Cook, he's getting older. He can't stay healthy either. The offense isn't as good. He doesn't catch as many passes. And it's like, oh, suddenly you kind of make a case. And it's like, yeah, Mixon catches some passes, but isn't the full third down back. P. Ryan, baby. With what should be a much improved offensive line. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Fournette suddenly looks better than all the other running back candidates for that area. And yes, I think that you could just say, you know what? I'm avoiding it. I'm going with, give me Kelsey at the turn or give me receivers. And you say, I don't really want the risk of running back. I understand that. But I think in terms of looking at which running backs I think are, I think are uh, clearly better than Fournette. There's really not many. And yeah, like, I, if, if you told me Jonathan Taylor at the one Oh one or Fournette at the one, two turn, I would much rather have Fournette at the one, two turn when he actually has, uh, when you know that I don't take Taylor offer. at the one Oh one, you've been in enough. Best yes. Ball I know. I know you're <laughs> McCaffrey one Oh one. So it just seems to me like when I think about the landscape, like you have to draft a running back at some point. No, I don't think that's the best cost for him. Like I, I loved getting Fournette later since it just seemed like he was going to go back to the bucks. It's because it, Tom Brady, that's who mm. he wants. So that I just think when you think about it in terms of which running backs you'd prefer when you have to take running backs, he does seem like a really nice anchor RB type build running back where you grab him and say, this guy stays healthy. We know that he's going to have a fantasy friendly role in a top three offense in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I, I found myself in like these two parallel arguments, which was really strange where like I was arguing with <laughs> half the replies to my tweet saying like, you're an idiot for not drafting Fournette. And then the other half were like, you're an idiot. He's not going to be drafted at the one, two turn. And I like simultaneously found myself defending why he would be drafted really highly. And also why I wouldn't draft him, which is like a very weird <laughs> position to be in. Which was um, an odd state of flux. But I, I guess like my stance is just that, that like ADP tends to follow projections, especially as we get closer to the season. And I think that he'll project super highly, like in week one DFS, mm-hmm. like he'll probably be a top five projected running back play. And I think that that will make him a very expensive um, redraft pick. Um, and I just like I just don't put as much emphasis on projections in terms of my draft philosophy, which is why I end up with the position that I do. But like I, I mean, if, if everybody ends up feeling like oh, Fournette grows still, like if that's still a sentiment that's out there, then maybe I will end up with more of him. I, I will make this point: we're a dynasty show, of course, primarily, even though we're now sponsored by Underdog. Um, and like I had this going going back with Mike Liu and. I am probably more inclined to target Fournette and dynasty because mm-hmm. like he has this and Connor actually falls into this category too, of like guys who feel gross. And, yeah. and I would know because I'm usually the one saying these guys are gross, um, <laughs> but like, uh, but guys who feel gross, like in this range, I just think are actually undervalued in dynasty relative to their redraft cost in the sense of like, we'll see where it all shakes out, but I expect that Fournette and Connor end up going like comfortably ahead of like Zeke and Aaron Jones in redraft and then yeah. probably behind, but like barely behind, or at least amongst like cook and Mixon, Um, and let's say Kamara gets announced with no suspension, like in that range. And then in dynasty, I expect that's probably going to be like more grouped or even behind Zeke and Jones. Um, mm-hmm. But like well behind cook and Kamara and Mixon and Eckler and that stuff. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I think that if you're like, why? Why is that the case? Because there's more sticking power based on the cook. Like, if, you're, if your argument's based on long-term, like, you're just shopping, like, completely in the wrong asset class if you're talking about 26, 27, 28-year-old running backs. Like, if you're already talking about 26-plus-year-old running backs, your real argument should be who's going to score the most points this year, in my opinion. Like, it shouldn't be, like, about their long-term future. So, yeah, I, I would be way more inclined to just kind of get, like, a discount Dalvin Cook and just go get Fournette and Dynasty 
Like, what's the highest rookie pick you'd give for Fournette in a dynasty league right now? Ooh, what would I give for him? Yeah, like obviously, obviously I, you're a contender. If you're not a contender, I mean, I I would chalk up a two hundred four. I'd chalk up a two hundred four or two hundred three for Fournette on my on my contending dynasty. That's, that's roster. your highest early. That's two. probably as I high think as I think I'd go like two hundred one, maybe yeah, okay. twelve. I think I, I'd go yeah. around that turn pick, just looking at who's going to be available there this year. I have all my one twelve reserved for Allen Robinson. I, I, I was gonna I was gonna say one twelve to one ten. I was gonna say one ten. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I could be sold on that. I think with Fournette, I have so the way that I look at running backs in Dynasty... Depends, though. Like, I have to have a hole there. <laughs> I think pretty much every running back I look at as having a two-year window in Dynasty. And then yeah. there's very few ultra-elite, super-premium young backs that have more than a two-year window. It's like Taylor Swift, Najee Harris. Like, they're uh, Javante Williams. What are they? Like, five, six running backs that you yeah. could argue have more than a two-year window. And then basically everyone else has a two-year window. Mm-hmm. And in that two-year window, outside of the super backs that are really young, Fournette's got to be like one of the two or three best for yeah. that archetype. So then I'm like, well, if I'm looking in the next two years, Fournette's going to be there probably for two years. He should be pretty much at the top of that list. But he's yeah. not. And I think that's why he's such an outrageous buy is that are you, you – like. He's probably going to outproduce Dalvin Cook the next two years. I, I would expect it based on what the Vikings look like, what the Buccaneers right. look so like. So then he should be ranked above him, period. Yeah. So I, I think like, that's. Dalvin Cook in three years won't be in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> Cook's probably going to be out of the NFL in two years. He's in the NFL. Good chance. He's not useful. Like, I yeah. already, I've mm-hmm. already shipped off Dalvin Cook for Atlanta Fournette at 23 1 uh, today. So I was that's, pretty that's incredible. That's insane. That's like pretty, yeah, that's insane. an amazing you, trade. Right? Like, People yeah. see Dalvin Cook and they go, oh, this explosive, amazing yeah. player. And Leonard Fournette is always casted with this, like, he's very mid, not an athlete, and he sucks. Um, one, yeah, I just so want to go one. Wild to me. I think, you I should, I think do... everyone should do that. Like, try and target yes, Fournette and easily. Connor from like Cook or like or from cook or Mixon or these guys like these veteran guys because to me that's where the value is if you tell me like oh i'm i'm already stacked at running back or i'm building like a younger build or whatever like there's plenty of reasons to not want to roster a 28 year old leonard fournette and dynasty but i like dalvin cook like a lot more is not a good one in my opinion yeah uh, agreed look um the last thing i wanted to say is that uh i found it hilarious i just want to spend a minute on this because i I think it needs to be said Mm. uh Urban Meyer's like the report or the article that <laughs> came out about Urban Meyer okay. not knowing who Aaron Donald is and then talking trash about John <laughs> Brown because the Southern boys don't don't get it or whatever he said. Like I just I not can't great, Bob. Be- I can't believe how bad it went for him. And I personally think it's gonna it, it it's gonna make screening the college coaches coming up like I think a deeper product. Not knowing who Aaron Donald is is just hilarious. Uh, 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 quick thoughts from everyone, if you want. If not, we can we can roll on. I yeah. If it's true that he didn't know who Aaron Donald is, which I I have no reason to believe it was true. I have no reason to believe it wasn't true. If that is true. That is hands down the funniest thing I've heard <laughs> in a very long time. It goes and probably right, won't be touched. It goes right up there with Russell Wilson saying that God gave him a right hand to throw deep to everyone but Jerry Judy. <laughs> yeah. Like it, if my right uncle like if I was having a Super Bowl party and my uncle walked in and was like, Oh damn, who's that 99 guy on the Rams? He's really he's really pushing him around. 
I would expect that. I'm like, dude, that's, that's, that's the biggest defensive guy in the league. But no, it's the coach of the Jaguars saying that while he's the coach. Yeah. Even if he was like, I'm a college coach, I don't watch NFL, I'd allow it. He's in the NFL. (laughs) It's it's pretty abysmal. Um, look, uh, we're gonna take a quick second, okay, because we need you guys need a break from all of our voices. We're gonna take a quick (laughs) second. Uh, we are going, I'm gonna play a clip from our show with Pat Dougherty, which you can catch uh on YouTube at our network and the Dynasty Vipers Network and on Apple and all those other fun places where you get the shows. We come back. Jacob's gonna tune you into a little bit of underdog knowledge, and we're gonna get into the heavy hitter questions here with our special guest today, Josh Larkey. So sit tight. As I mentioned, here's our show with uh, Pat Dougherty. I just find it amazing that the NFL is so bad with technology. Uh, for like a multi-billion dollar industry with a bunch of MIT students as interns, uh, probably horrifically underpaid, that they yes. can't sync their data to what's happening in real time. Like they were like, bizarre. Oh, the next gen stats combining live, uh, you know, numbers and from from their production and what we see on film for grades can't get a forty time down straight. Like just completely unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, a little later we're gonna play a clip on how Billy fixes the combine. <laughs> so I have I have that wow. queued up. Jacob, why don't oh, you I'm let excited. the people know all about underdog today? Well, look, I uh I was recently at a party and I was uh, they were like, Oh, like what do you do? And I was like, I'm a law student. And then they were like, Oh, weird capitalism. And then I was like, Oh, but I also have this fun side hustle. Uh <laughs> and then I talked about like doing fantasy podcasting, and then they were they were like, Oh yeah, but the games are all on Sunday. Like, how many leagues are you in? Well, and I was like, oh, like I'm in, in several redraft leagues. And I was like, but I do like a ton of best ball leagues. Like I do over like a 5, couple hundred best ball leagues. And they were like, how do you do that? Like the game start at 10 a.m. on Sunday. How do you set all of your lineups? You live on the West Coast. Um, and I say, I don't have to do that because I use underdog fantasy. Uh, and so I get to just do these drafts. And then every day I do a draft. I, I sit on the bus home from work. I do a draft. I'm bored at work. I do a draft. Uh, I... I I can't find a date on a Saturday night because my hinge um, isn't finding me set up with success. So I, I sit home and do a draft and then I just get small wins every day. You know, I, I sit at work and I'm like, Oh man, I should be doing this thing for a client. And then I get a, a tweet alert that says Jameson Crowder signs of the Buffalo bills. And then I go to my exposure and I see like 35% Crowder because I'm a total cuck beta. And then I'm like, wow, I just like won a little bit of expected value today. And so why would you spend your time getting up at 5am to set lineups right? Trying to make decisions of who to start between Gerald Everett or Alberto Kuebenam or David Njoku, when you can just have this blissful existence of doing drafts, but you can't get a date. And then all of a sudden waking up and seeing that Jamison Crowder just made you like three Satoshis of expected value overnight by signing with Josh Allen. (laughs) Get on underdog today. Use promo code full tilt. That's right. If you use promo code Full Tilt, you've never played before. They, of course, match your deposit up to $100. It goes beyond. I told Tom, um, by the way, that I was going to use my creative liberties when he sent me this ridiculous template. Um, And then Tom got mad at me. And then this is the result of letting me do the ad. Oh, I liked it. This was good. I've. (laughs) I think the stories are always best. My my pet peeve is the podcasters that are like. And now let me do a totally different voice. And and they speed read through this promo. And I'm like, the company's going to stop paying you. Yeah. That's how you're reading your promos. Like, 
It sounds like the end of those medical commercials and they're like side effects may include and it's like everything including death and it's like so this is why and they're like but this is the medication where if your heart rate was here we wanted it to be here but you might die but have you ever wanted to quit hear. smoking well yeah. now you can include certain death depression anxiety <laughs> yeah it's, it's horrific it's absolutely horrific uh josh you're a man that has a ton of experience doing what you're doing and you do everything from coding to you name it analytics best ball i know you're on the tiktok streets talking best ball and and draft values all the time which also shout out on the tiktok views because those are not easy to get, and and you've <laughs> definitely found your pocket that's working. So shout out to you! Incredible. Uh, you're on my for uh, for you page uh, every time. I did see your Jalen Hurts TikTok, which I appreciated because Hurts is dope. Uh, one thing that comes with working with player profiler is kind of a stigma, and we did talk uh, with this a little bit with Austin Gale. So I wanted to get your opinion as well because when. Pro Football Focus puts out something. It is a lightning rod for controversy all the time. And I feel like Player Profiler also kind of has that reputation that when you guys mm-hmm. post a picture of the bar graph, and that's in all – I'm in so many group chats that just post, oh, the bar graph is at it again. <laughs> uh, when it comes to uh, living by the bar graph, why do you think that people just assume that that is your as, – as a company, as yourself, your guys's – like, if it's not on the bar graph, I don't care at all. But yet here you are talking about Leonard Fournette. So I just wanted to know, why do you think that is? And how do you apply things like changes of scenery and players getting older to their original bar graph? So I think it just kind of goes back to this universal concept that people fear the unknown. You see it across every industry. You see it in politics. You see it in people's friendships. Just there's there's in economics. There's no way to avoid it. People are afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And when you dive in and you understand the numbers more and take the time to better understand the, the bar graph, you realize it's not that scary and that it's just a piece of the puzzle and that I am in no way bound to the bar graph. There's guys with really good looking <laughs> bar graphs that I hate. There's guys with bad looking bar graphs that I love. I mean, I'm a Charger fan, and Keenan Allen has to have one of the worst bar graphs ever when he runs a mid 4-7 as a receiver. So I, I think it's kind of just that fear of the unknown and people just not quite understanding uh, how, to, how to use that data. It's just like with film grinders when like the, the misconception, I think, with film grinders is like, oh, you're just watching YouTube highlights. And it's like, well, I'm sure there are some film grinders that only watch YouTube highlights. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm sure there's some quote unquote analysts that see a bar graph and they're like, well, there, let's just rank the players by this yeah. bar graph. And oh, here, <laughs> here, these are my rankings. So I might here's switch these two guys. Plot. Yeah, like oh, this scatter yeah. plot is basically my my rankings now. And I think that there are <laughs> the very extreme individuals on both ends, the film, the analytics side. I think they just kind of give it a bad name. I. I'm not a prisoner to the bar graph. Do I use them more than most people? Yes. That's, that's my skill set. is that I'm better with numbers than most people or else then everyone would have my job. So I hope, I hope that I can be above average with the bar graph or else I'm getting paid for absolutely no reason. So I, I think prisoner just, to the bar graph was actually an unwritten novel by Dostoyevsky. I was say, that's my, that's my punk rock band from the late 2000s. Prisoner of the bar graph. <laughs> So I really think it just goes back. It's fear of the unknown. And right. uh, people, if they're like, oh, I haven't seen this before, just like 
when I first found out that there were people that did nothing aside from watch film, immediately I was like, oh God, like I certainly couldn't do that. I played a little football when I was younger. Mm. I've watched football on TV. Do I think that I could just start breaking down schemes and watching a single player and then immediately know where he stacks up compared to other players based on watching him run a route or take a carry? No, that's not my skill set. So I might be more inclined than to be like, oh, these they're just watching highlights or something. But when you really dig into the process or when you learn more about my process, you realize that, do I use the bar graph? Yes. Is that my only process? No. And it's like with Leonard Fournette. Does he have pretty pretty bad advanced metrics? Absolutely. Do I still draft a lot of Leonard Fournette and value him generally above consensus? Absolutely. And it's because there's other factors at play. So I, I think that's what I would say to all the people that are like, oh, it's just a bar graph. Uh no, I will not be prisoner to the bar graph. I, I think that's important. Perception to that is really, really important. And I'll say that for me, I played a fairly high competitive level for Canada uh, of football. And one of the things Jake and I used to talk about when we just started talking football with one another at the baseball diamond was I didn't mm. like this player because of how they looked and then how they looked. And then when I got onto Twitter, I saw that that was the only focus. And I went, oh, no, like I'm not going to. I'm not going to venture into that because even having watched and actually had to break down film, there's no fucking way I'd be able to tell you who's going to be a first round lock pick because of how they ran routes in college. Um, One other question I wanted uh, that I, that I asked there, how do you apply the, let's say just in process, whether you're drafts or whatever, how do you choose which players like Keenan Allen, as you mentioned, where you ignore the bar graph and apply him to your ranks? How does that, how do you combine your analytic mind and the bar graph uh, to players like that, that are seemingly complete outsiders to process? So I'll, I'll generally keep my process fairly rooted in data, but the way that I kind of stray from just the straight up bar graph is uh, with with someone like Keenan Allen, he he has what looks like a like a junior college type forty time. He runs mid four sevens, and he's he's a big receiver. I think he's six two six three, but it's not like he, he's not some uh, underrated play pool. Like I yeah, think people yeah. think that he's smaller than he is. Yeah, I think because he plays slot. Yeah, they, yeah. they just assume that he's tiny. He's a monster. Yeah, he's a he's a big receiver, but he's not that big hmm. overall. Just very poor athleticism on paper. But with someone like Keenan Allen, there's other data points you can look at, like his absolutely ridiculous production in college, that Mm -hmm. he got drafted round one. And why I love draft capital is that is how I, a non-film grinder, can masquerade as a film grinder. The draft capital is often, the it's like the, it's a film grade, basically. The film people, the team decided that they wanted to see that guy from the film on their team in the NFL. So I can use the draft capital. I'm like, oh, he got decent enough draft capital. He was ridiculously productive in college. He's got the right size. Now we have some data points in the NFL, and it's like, oh, he's he's getting targeted at a very high rate per route. The overall target share is really good. And then when you look at pretty much everything else, he stacks up really well. And I think that that's really important is I'll do a ton of little mini data experiments with different players when I'm a little bit unsure of what to think. So uh, an example could be if, if there's a new metric out there and someone's like, hey, I, I have this new metric that I think is really good, and then I'm going to test it. I'm never just going to blindly take something and be like, oh, great. 
thanks for telling me here's the here's the the little secret sauce i'm going to use this now i always like to just do some kind of quick experiments where i'm like all right let's just subset the data this way and let's see all right based on this metric do the players start to look okay if the if there's some good players some bad players i'm like maybe we need another data point to mix in where it's like hmm. if you it's like for receiver we, people talk about early declare and i can say all right cool let's let's look at early declare versus non-early declare. And like, yes, you'll see that most of the good receivers in the NFL were early declares. Does that mean that if you're not an early declare, there's no way you can be good? No, because if you start looking at the non-early declares, sometimes you'll see, oh, there's this strange pattern where a lot of those guys were small school guys and it's just hard to get noticed after three years at the small school. Yeah. So maybe I say, you know what? I can forgive you a little bit more if you're a non-early declare at a small school, whereas if you're a big school, non-early declare, I'm like, you know what? The whole world knew about you and you still stayed an extra year. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag to me. And I think that those types of thought experiments are basically what I'm doing. And then I'll just pull up data to either confirm or deny those thought experiments. And I'll move along kind of iteratively from there. Yeah. I think that that's something that I think more people should be doing when they consider themselves on the analytics front is that if you want to be a film grinder, you should strive to be more than just the highlight reel film watcher. And then if you consider yourself to be more analytics focused, that you should be doing a lot of these experiments and that you should never just take, if you yourself want to be in the spreadsheets or be in the code that you shouldn't just be taking people at face value and going, Oh yeah, I believe that because when you actually do the research yourself, it's when you yourself will be like, Oh my God, here's an outlier or here's a really strange trend where your eyes and your knowledge of football and your knowledge of what you've known with the data comes into play. And it's your unique creativity where you go, okay, the data is not quite looking how I thought it would look just like with Keenan out. I'm like, huh, this 40 time sticks out like a, like a sore thumb. And then you start to do more digging and more research, and then you can either explain it away or you can't explain it away. And I think that type of process is really important for everyone to do because if you're not doing your own full process, you're probably missing out and not even taking advantage of your own creativity to its mm. fullest potential. I, I think that like you, you said the word outlier at the end and I loved everything you just said. I, I think outlier is one of the most overused terms and like misused terms in the mm, football sure. space. Like mm -hmm. when people say, so I think there's a big difference between someone being an outlier in the sense of like, if this player hits X amount of points, they are an outlier. And then I think when some people say outlier, what they really should say is actually there's one part of this person's profile. That's an outlier <laughs> compared to the rest of the profile. Like, so I, I have like, I remember people this year have been saying like, man, like, when will we stop listening to these data people? Devontae Smith hit last year and he was an outlier. It's like there are elements of Devontae Smith's profile that were outlier-esque in the sense that he was very skinny um, in the sense that like, I don't even know if being a senior declare would like be considered an outlier because there's like tons of, um, of senior declare successes, but it's like, makes you like a little bit less likely to hit. You won the um, Heisman. That's an outlier. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's like the idea that like Devonte Smith hitting, it's like a completely unforeseeable outcome. was like, it's ridiculous. Like that's not, that's not the case. Like the vast majority of, of analytically based people had him either wide receiver two or three or four. Like that I'm aware of, like he was a good prospect. He produced a crap ton. 
Keenan Allen, similar example where it's like, okay, he's an outlier based on his 40 time. Like that's very weird. But in the sense, like it's already an outlier that a player with that kind of 40 time gets drafted on day two. Um, and then we're going to have this conversation again with Wandale. Like we'll see what, where his draft capital ends up, but like Wandale hitting at five foot, five feet, eight inches. If the only thing we knew about him was that he was five feet, eight inches would look like an outlier in the context of his whole profile. His profile is actually quite good. Um, and, and that's definitely something that I think is, is interesting in terms of this outlier. Like if, I don't know, name like just a really unproductive, like, like nothing player. I'm trying to think of, okay. If Vilas Jones Jr. Hamler. Well, no, KJ Hamler had a phenomenal prospect profile and one day he will hit maybe. Um, if Vilas, <laughs> if, like, uh, if Vilas Jones Jr. Like hits this year, like that's mm-hmm. actually an outlier because he like didn't exist on a football field until he was like 23. And now he's older than Juju Smith-Schuster um, and he's going to be a rookie. Like that would be but he's faster than Juju. That's true. Uh, like that would be an extremely outlier result if like he hits and there are outliers. Right. But I just think people like sometimes really misuse like what it means to be an outlier. Like if Wandel goes in round three and hits, like that's not actually weird. That's like totally normal. Kind mm-hmm. of, ex- kind of expected. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing that I'll add to this is that uh, people talk about stuff like aging curves all the time. And like, yes, you can kind of blanket apply an aging curve. And it's like, this is one of guys supposed to get good and get better and then decline. But I think that one thing that I've realized is that aging curves kind of depend on how good the player is. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, there's going to be some arbitrary nature to who you defined as a good player, bad player. But if you just look at good receivers, they're not going to age like bad receivers, at least not in the NFL. If you look at bad no. receivers, they're aging out of the league by 24, 25, 26. Really good receivers are hitting their stride at age 26. And there's different things there where you could be like, oh, like Larry Fitzgerald. Yes, he was an outlier. But should we have expected him to fall off a cliff at age 31 just because a lot of other receivers did? Not really. Based on how he was winning in his style of play, no, we shouldn't expect it. Same with Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown was, I, I've said this before on a few podcasts, and I don't even think it's a hot take. I'm like, if Antonio Brown was not a head case, he would be a top five dynasty receiver last year. Yeah. When people oh, were talking about oh, how to value Antonio easy. Brown, I was like, oh, he he looks like the kind of player that's going to have top five seasons, kind of in perpetuity, and yeah. that we haven't even seen any inkling that he's declining. He was possibly the best wide receiver in the NFL last year when he was healthy. He's insane and he got hurt, but he was like literally like incredible. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even think twice. He'd be in my consideration in the second round of a dynasty startup. If I knew that he had, we talked about Lockett before, just a man of the people. If he had Tyler Lockett's disposition, he'd be a, (laughs) he'd be a second round startup pick. Can Antonio Brown find God? Seriously, <laughs> he's been calling God. We just need him to find him. <laughs> oh my God. I, uh, to him a little too much. Yeah, I keep drafting him, by the way. I've been in these startups. I won't, I don't stop drafting him. Just, you never know. Like, I mean, if, we, if we're giving $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson, like you're telling me a team can't give like a $2 million tryout deal to AB, like it's possible. Mm-hmm. Come on. I, it, I Green think Bay Packers. I think we'll see him play again. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I definitely worth a 25th round startup pick. If you ask me, <laughs> because every uh, time he steps on the football field, we should expect like 18 points or I or took him easy. in the league. We're in the, yeah. that Dave Kluge invitational yeah. league. Yeah. Took yeah, him in like the Twitter, second last round. Nasties. I just feel like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, you know what? 
that when you're in that late in the startup, you're dropping that dude. He's getting rotated with the waiver wire within the yeah. first few weeks of the mm-hmm. season. At least with Antonio Brown, there's a chance that he's actually cracking your starting lineup. Pretty much nobody else in that range has any type of realistic probability of doing that. Antonio Brown needs one thing to go right. He needs a team to sign him. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every other guy you're drafting that range, you need like six, seven different things to snowball. And then it's like, okay, now I'll consider starting this guy in my flex this week. Signs like he's likely, an automatically wide receiver. It's a lot more one. likely that Antonio yeah. Brown finds God than KJ <laughs> Hamler finds your wide receiver two slot at this point. Russell <laughs> Wilson finds KJ Hamler. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, oh like gosh. get look, get uh I mean, I have so many Hamler shares because I, I already drafted a bunch of Hamler when he was a rookie because he was like a really good prospect. And then he, or at least a really productive prospect. Um, so in, in my sense, that means good. Uh, and then he went in the second round, but then nobody liked him because he got drafted behind Judy and Sutton was already there. So he was like the second round, like ultra productive prospect that was getting drafted in round three of rookie drafts. So I just kept drafting Hamler. And then last year I was like, well, that didn't work, but he's even cheaper now. So I guess I'll just keep drafting Hamler and then that didn't work. But now I'm sitting here with like 60% KJ Hamler exposure. And it's like, I'm not going to drop him. Um, <laughs> and now they just got Russell Wilson. So it's like, if he could just get like any of the three people in front of him to get injured, then he'll get to play a lot of snaps with the best deep ball thrower, potentially of the last like 20 years. Um, and you can tell yourself a story of how KJ Hamler will go five for 132 and two touchdowns, and then you can sell him for a late second round pick one day. That's the story that I well, tell myself every night. I love that you've just yeah. you've you've constructed this path to Hamler yeah. becoming a That's success a for you. I, I, go, I love that. Going back to Antonio Brown, I just think it's a fun game to play. If he didn't storm off that field as oh, a Jets player, just played out the rest of the season as a fine player doesn't sign with the Bucks, goes somewhere random. We can put him anywhere we want. Where where are we drafting him right now? Legitimately. Highly. Like I'd be like drafting he, as Josh just said, as Josh just said he'd take him in the second round of a startup if he's yeah, I would draft him at least in the third like sight unseen. I would draft him in the third round of any of any like best ball yeah. draft. Because I mean last year mm-hmm. last year he was like clearly when all three were healthy he was the best wide receiver on the box on a team with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Rob mm-hmm. Gronkowski. And he was averaging like 30% targets per route run at a ridiculous mm-hmm. yards per route run and was like getting like a 90 PFF grade. He was phenomenal. And almost anywhere he went other than the box, he would probably be competing with worse wide receivers than Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans. And like, I know people would say like, Oh, Tom Brady was just force feeding him. Cause their buddies like, Tom Brady really doesn't force feed anybody. If, if anything, he force feeds running backs by just like continuously dumping down to them uh, more than any quarterback in the world. Like he doesn't really force feed people. And then if you just look into the numbers, like no, Antonio Brown just got open like at ridiculously high rates constantly. And I'm pretty sure that whatever team he plays on, if he ever plays football again, he will also get open at ridiculously high rates. Like he's done every time he's ever stepped on a football field. Yeah. I think before the Devonte Adams trade, if I were to put Antonio Brown on any other team, I think the Packers with Adams and Rodgers would be the only team where I'd be fairly certain he wouldn't be the target leader. I think every other team, he has a strong case. Even the Vikings, I think there's a good case for him potentially out-targeting Jefferson, where at least it's a conversation. I think the only time it wouldn't be a conversation is if Adams was still on the Packers Hmm. and AB went there, I think Adams has more targets. Basically, every other situation, I think it's a real conversation, and it's, I don't know. I could really see... 
Antonio Brown having the most targets per game on this roster. So that's yeah. why I think that if he's just the perfect late round dynasty pick right now, he's a great late round best ball pick right now because the, the second he goes anywhere, if it happens, uh, like you said, he's probably a third, fourth round redraft pick where yeah. if, if we knew he wasn't a head case, he'd be a, a round one round two turn pick and redraft. But because he's a head case, he's probably going to go in the third or fourth round. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially like especially with the twenty rounds now added in best ball. Like, what are you, who are you picking with your last pick? Like Anthony Schwartz. Like, like your every wide receiver available in the last few rounds. Yeah, KJ Hamler, <laughs> a great example. But like every every wide receiver you're drafting the last few rounds is like on Wind Sprint Island. Like, so yeah. <laughs> you may as well take may as well take a shot at AV. I'd say Will Fuller, but Jacob's definitely taking him five rounds earlier than no. Will Fuller has around eleven ADP, and he's significantly undervalued. Um, We're handing out. He's gonna if Will Will Fuller ends up on the Browns, (laughs) that's so perfect because he's signing there. Because if he ends up on the Browns, like he's better than Amari Cooper, and he will outtarget Amari Cooper. Mm, uh, in, and, in the people. in the five games he plays, he absolutely will. Yeah, um, Mari career high target share does not sniff Will Fuller's uh, target share. Well, well, yeah, I'm just saying I it'll be in the happen, five games. And then I will played. write. I will when when this does happen, and I hope it does. I will have the definitive uh, tale of the tape: Amari Cooper versus Billy Needles uh, on PlayerProfiler.com. I look forward to to making that. Uh, a flight I just plan look forward to him. Down on Fuller. It's like it's like there's like I have what am I sitting at 19? I have six cards in my hand. I'm like, hit me, dealer. Just keep hitting me. Just like, like Will with the, I think with the, Will Fuller would be right. dope. Hit me. Will Fuller is gonna be dope while it's warm, and the minute it turns a little bit cold <laughs> in Cleveland, both hamstrings are gonna explode. And whatever problem you have with his finger that kept him out all year, the two He's of the opposite of Darryl. We're gonna like, he'll get back on the gas, it'll be fine. <laughs> we need them to pro cheating right uh look we're gonna take a quick second we got another clip from our show with pat dowdy we come back we got one or two more questions left for josh before we have to send him on his way for the rest of the day out there in the west coast so sit tight here's another clip from our show with pat dowdy that you can find again on the full tilt youtube network and the dynasty vipers youtube network sit tight i feel like the combine needs like a change like it's become very popular and I think that's a great thing, but I think a lot of times these players, like they've been on their feet, they've been doing interviews all days. The athletic training is at 7 PM at night. Like I, I want that's dumb. Yeah. I, I want for, first off, I want it at like, as soon as they wake up, I want them to choose when they're going to run everything good. I want all that. Also just one year, I want them to run it in pads to, just do it, then do it out and see if it, see if the trends are the same. Like if people are as fast in pads. That's all you're I saying, want. You're saying dry archer would have never happened if they had <laughs> run in pads? Is that what you're saying? Probably not. Can we get like a, I don't know, an XFL like shoot for the ball drill? Just something. Yeah, it's something that's, else. That's something. a bad idea. <laughs> Billy, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see them run it in pads. As someone who's run those stupid combine drills at really stupid hours, because they used to make us run it in high school, like pre-university, before we used to do workouts with the, the Manitoba Bison, they were always at the worst times. You ran it, then you took a lunch break, then you had to come out and restretch, and then run a bunch more. I couldn't imagine being there till 11.30 and having somebody want me to do a freaking agility drill. 
no thank you. But running it in pads, I just think that would be must-see TV. Just run it once. <laughs> if we do it once and it's the exact same, we never have to do it again. I love yeah, that. I just want to see it. Uh, look, one thing I, I definitely wanted to ask, because I love your I love your takes, Josh, on how you build your teams, whether in Dynasty and Fantasy. And I thought maybe I'd be able to sneak this one in. Uh, I want to talk about teams being clueless, like NFL teams being absolutely clueless. Uh, why do you think teams with access to all of the advanced data that all of us have and probably stuff that we don't even get to look at consistently make the worst possible decisions Baker Mayfield uh, uh, imaginable for their teams and set themselves back three, four years all the time? I don't care, Billy. I had to get a Baker shot in there. You can be confused all you want. Trapped ahead of Josh Rosen. I think it's fine. <laughs> So I think that I have kind of a unique perspective on this because I have the baseball analytics background. I used to work for two teams and I, all my, my opinions on fantasy football are informed by my baseball analytics career that kind of came before I took fantasy seriously. And one of the biggest changes that are differences that I've seen between baseball and football is that in baseball, when management takes over a new team or when management decides to rebuild, there's this understanding of how long the process takes. And if a GM inherits a team or a coach goes to a bad team, it's understood that it's not a one or two year process. It's often more than that. The NFL, it's still very archaic. And I think a lot of it boils down to these GMs have such an uncertain window and if you, if you just look around the NFL, there's only a handful of GMs that have contract certainty and role security for the next three years. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from is that they do these kind of fake skinny rebuilds or, oh, I think we don't need to tear it down, that the fans won't like it, or my job is insecure, so we need to make sure that at least we win six games this year or seven games this year. When really, what does that do for your franchise? What have the Atlanta Falcons gained from this? It looks like now the Falcons are rebuilding. Yet they had this unbelievably painful multi-year stretch where they refused to rebuild. And now they're still going to have the unbelievably painful multi-year stretch of a rebuild at minimum. That's just assuming that now they do it right. And I think that's just what it all boils down to is that there's not this job security. And that's why you see teams make really bad moves where it's going to hamstring their future. But at least for this season, I mean, Jacob knows it all too well as a Colts fan. The, <laughs> how many quarterbacks they've had where they always have a decent enough roster to compete, but you don't really think of them as a true Super Bowl contender. This, These are the types of decisions that can hurt a franchise where you look and you go, oh, you know what? This team, do they have a young elite quarterback or do they have an elite quarterback? If it's if it's no to both, sorry, it's not going to work out for you. And we see it with, I think the Vikings are a good example. Kirk Cousins Panthers. is a good quarterback. No. He's, he's definitely above average. Panthers. But he does not seem like the type of quarterback where if you're paying him similar money to what an actually elite quarterback makes, or when you look and see that he's making four or five times the amount of money that a Herbert or a Burrow is making, how is that team realistically supposed to compete? It's just such yeah. a crazy disadvantage that you're starting with. And it seems to me like if GMs, uh, the 
everyone that worked for the team outside of ownership was told you have this four to five year window and it's okay. If you don't like a quarterback in this upcoming draft class, we're going to suck for one more year and we're going to get a high pick for the next year's draft class. And then we'll take a good quarterback. And that if you're Mm -hmm. building the team that way, where it's like, what do all these good teams have? That's what we want to get. And we're going to be patient about it. So if I'm, so like with the Lions, I think so far they've rebuilded well. My yeah. worry is that they're going to take Malik Willis at two. Do I think Malik Willis can be a good NFL quarterback? Yes. Do I think that probability is lower than a lot of other guys that would go in the top five in the NFL draft? Mm-hmm. Also, yes. If I'm, if I worked for the Lions, what I would say is, hey, yes, Malik Willis is tempting. Could he be one of the better NFL quarterbacks? Sure. But that is a lower probability outcome. The 2023 quarterback class looks way better. Let's ride with Jared Goff one more year. We're going to be bad again. And then we're going to take a much higher probability swing at an important position like quarterback. And that's when the rebuild officially is. That's when we're officially kicking in potential contention mode with this rookie deal quarterback. Because Malik Willis is not. He He's going to be a terrible NFL starter if he starts in 2022. How he does in fantasy, that's a different story. But he is going to be an absolute dog shit quarterback if a team gives him the Zach Wilson treatment. We just saw it with Zach Wilson, who's significantly less raw than Malik Willis. Yeah. Willis is going to be so bad. And you're taking him, and it's like, all right, you've already lost one year on the rookie deal because he's either sitting and trying to learn or he's absolutely sucking. And I think that these are the decisions that – NFL GMs, they can't even make because they're too concerned about, we want the ownership to think we have a plan. I just need to make it to next season. And that that's kind of my, my big rant on mm. what the NFL does wrong, but it ultimately ties back to contract insecurity with these GMs. You're, you're totally, totally right. And it, you always hear the phrase on Twitter. It's like, well, the NFL doesn't run their team like a fantasy team. And like, yeah, that, that's very, very true. But like to an extent, because there's a big difference between saying like, obviously a bunch of fantasy GMs would not be better at running NFL teams than NFL GMs, but like from a strategic, like optimization perspective, like fantasy managers for the most part, actually like optimize their probability on general better than NFL people do because you don't get fired. Like you, 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 you are, you cannot fire yourself from your fantasy team, (laughs) which is a, uh, which is a nice thing. Um, And so, what we often see, right, is like people talk about how to rebuild um, with an NFL t- or with a dynasty team, right? Mm-hmm. Is you talk about running backs, like you want these running backs on the rookie contracts for your fantasy team. And running backs, kind of like quarterbacks for an NFL team, are probably like the largest determining factor often for whether you win or lose in a dynasty league. It's a little bit different in a redraft league where you can do um, more funky things with zero RB and waiver wires and stuff. But like, usually if you're like full on contention mode, you probably need at least like one stud running back on your dynasty team in that given year. And most people that rebuild appropriately will make that the last portion, right? Like I'm, I'm in a league right now where I did two years. I went for it in my home dynasty league that Tom's in. And then last year we got like about halfway through the year. I was like, man, this team is like running on fumes. Like we can that get Tom the- also one. Tom did win. He won it in year one. Um, I was like, man, this team's running on fumes. Like I could maybe like grind out the six seed, but like who really cares? Like I'm I'm not making it on the playoffs. So like I sold like freaking everything. And we're like, we're going to do 
where we like blew it up last year. This year we're going to just suck. And I have like a million picks. I have like four firsts this year. I have four firsts next year. Basically like all I have in place is like AJ Brown, Brandon Ayuk and Dak. And then like everything else is like just a bunch of guys that I hope I can flip for some seconds and thirds and then just picks. Um, and it's like this year in this class, like I won't be drafting Brees Hall. I would like to either trade that or, I, or I'll potentially draft Willis or whatever, because like, I don't want to waste prime running back productive years on a team that's not going to be doing anything. And it's not going to be competitive because they have the shortest windows. I want to build that quarterback and that wide receiver foundation around them. And I think that's really similar in NFL. Like Josh said, the best time you can win or really the only time you can win in the NFL probabilistically without great quarterback play is with cheap quarterback play. And the only way to get cheap, good quarterback play is on a quarterback with a rookie deal. Uh, and it's like what we saw what happened with the Cardinals where the Cardinals drafted Kyler. Well, first they drafted Rosen and then they drafted Kyler and they weren't in any place to compete. This was like the first year they built any half decent team around him. And it was already year three. I, I love what the Lions are doing where potentially if they don't draft Malik this year, they've now done two years of building up everything else. They built up the interior last year. They can build up the boundaries this year and then they get a rookie quarterback and it's like, okay, now we're ready to go. Like yeah, 40, you know, it's, it's really, really enticing to be in that position like the Seahawks were in or like the Chargers are in where like you can actually be a Super Bowl contender and spend big with a rookie quarterback while they're on the rookie deal. Whereas when people make the quarterback the first part of their rebuild, then if that quarterback's good, you're already paying them by an, ex- an extension by the time the rest of your team is ready to compete and you're, you're kind of screwed. I, I'm, go oh, ahead, Billy. There, go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. There, the, one of the biggest reasons why I'm worried about – the first quarterback off the board in this draft class. I think that's probably Malik Willis. That's the big betting favorites, but a lot of the teams that there, there is a gauntlet of teams that are ready to take a quarterback, but not ready to compete at the top of the draft class. Josh mentioned the lions, the Panthers and the Falcons Panthers are, too. are terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's three, like there is a gauntlet of teams that could easily draft him and just say, go. And Malik Willis will have a good career, I think. Uh, But it's terrifying to think he's going to start off in this horrible situation when there's other situations when we have players like Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral in the back end of the first that could go to teams like the Saints or teams like Pittsburgh that have a really well-built out wide receiving core, a decent defense, a good setup around them where they could use this guy properly. Like it's, it's scary to look at the teams that could be taking someone like Malik Willis and just hope and pray that someone trades up maybe with the Falcons and just sets him up in a better situation. So I disagree with you by half, but I agree with you by the other half. Like I think that as much as I don't like taking Willis for the lions, I actually really like the lions taking Willis for Willis in the sense that like, I'm not big on the idea of a quarterback has to sit for a year. Like I, I agree that, like if Willis plays this year, he's going to be total trash. I think that's fine. Like I, I think that you learn by doing. I think that the Lions are actually like a pretty ideal situation for Willis because one, they have Goff there. Goff's not going anywhere. So if they decide it's best for Willis's development to sit Willis for a year and just have Goff play anyway, I, I think that's fine. I don't think that's a great use of resources from the Lions' perspective, but just strictly well, like sure. looking at Willis as a dynasty asset, that's okay. And then the other hand, it's like, if they're like, you know what, Willis, like we're, we're one in seven, like go play the second half of the season. I just think that's a really like low pressure environment with some tools. Like 
He will have Swift there. He'll have Amon Ra there. He'll have Hawkinson there. They're probably going to draft a receiver at 32 or 34. If they do take Willis, they have Chark there. Like, and they have a really nice O-line. So I think that it at least provides like a decent enough supporting cast on offense. And they'll probably be one and seven by the time he takes over that it's like, you know what, Willis, like here, you have some nice pieces around you. Just go have fun, make a bunch of mistakes. And it's okay because like Holmes isn't going anywhere. Campbell's not going anywhere. You won't have this like gross tense environment like Chicago was last year. The Panthers are the one that's ter- that terrifies me because Matt Rule is coaching for his job. Like he knows that if he doesn't win this year, he's done. And they part. also have zero O-line whatsoever. And so like, that's just, that's like the naggy situation to me where if a quarterback goes there, like they're going to play way too soon because if they start out like one and three with Darnold, they're going to be like, all right, we, we're benching Sam Darnold. We're throwing in this rookie. We don't care if he's ready. And if he's not, it doesn't matter. His development isn't our concern. Like we're just <laughs> like, right. Like they're, they're just going to be like, like, yeah, instead of whatever the plan is for Willis, if it's Detroit and it's Campbell, like they're going to decide on that plan based on Willis and his long-term future, Matt rule, will be making decisions based on Matt rule. And like, that's, that's a terrifying proposition for anyone who ends up in Carolina. I think one of the funny parts about the NFL is how coaches manipulate their way to keeping their job longer than they should. Cause if the Carolina Panthers draft a quarterback, it's, it's rule being like, but it's a rookie. Give me two years with them. I bet you I can turn it around. Sam Darnold was always garbage, but you know what I mean? And quite clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. I agree. I'm scared for Carolina the same way. I'm scared with Detroit where I think that drafting your offensive lineman should be your like number one priority. When you guys got, when you got guys like Tyler Linderbaum, just sitting there waiting for you to be, you just take him in Detroit and you'd have one of the top five offensive linemen going into 2023, mm. where you draft the best quarterback on the board when you finish as the worst pick or worst team in the league. And you draft a quarterback one-on-one like that's easy money. Right. But, these coaches just managed to stick around because they can manipulate their, oh, this is a rookie quarterback. Give me at least one year. You can't, whatever. And then why I'm scared for guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, where they have coaches and GMs and coordinators that drafted them and they're not there anymore. So it's rookie year, mm. you know, version two. And that doesn't work out well. That's why I'm also very scared for Lawrence and definitely still scared for Justin Fields. Like those are mm-hmm. two players that I'm very weary of for that reason. Coaching 100% matters. I just want to shout out Dave here who left this comment, but I didn't want to put it up because it would block Jacob while he's speaking again. <laughs> and I seem to do that every time. Yeah, there he is. In the Bulletproof Discord, I likened it to the board CEOs of corporations prioritizing short term stock prices over long term success. And I think that pretty much nails it right on the head. I think we got. We generally got time for one more, Josh. Uh, one more question here before you got to get out of here. I just I've got one know- before we continue. One more quick thought on the quarterbacks. I think yeah. the only time that a poverty franchise that just looks terrible should draft a uh, a quarterback early is when it's the absolute elite talent. And that yeah. I don't think teams should ever model themselves off the Bengals in terms of the window where they go, oh, we were a terrible team. We, we had no O-line built out. We took Burrow and we went to the Super Bowl in year two. But I do think that them taking Burrow was the right process. And that when you have that can't-miss quarterback, I think then it's okay to say, hey, we know we're wasting at least one season of him where we know it's not a good environment because this guy's such an elite talent. And that's why I think Malik Willis is the wrong choice. If you're going, hey, it's okay. Like, we're burning a development year. I think the calculus changes because 
not only do you burn at least one year of a development year, but it's not even like a borough where it's like, oh, he's can't miss. And it's where it was hard to imagine Burrow not being at least a quality NFL starter. It's like Mac Jones, where you take him and it's like, it's really hard for me to see him not being at least a quality starter and that this guy's such a good passer of the football that doesn't really matter where he goes. He's going to at least have a good NFL career and be productive. And that's why I think Lawrence to the Jaguars, it made sense. Sure, that team was going nowhere, but at least we got what looks on paper like an elite quarterback prospect. So I think that's the the one scenario where I think it doesn't matter what the team looks like. You have to take him. Malik Willis, though, clearly not that guy. He has some elite tools, but there's also a lot about his profile that makes me think that him actually being a top 10 real life NFL quarterback is quite a long shot for him. It's unfortunate that perhaps a guy like Lamar Jackson, who was taken 32nd, right, kind of, I guess, was viewed at the time almost the same way as Malik, just, you know, with the Heisman Trophy to his name and a little bit better uh, prospect. And now Malik's getting pushed all the way up to the opposite end of that board. Crazy how kind far of, the NFL has come yeah, in such a short yeah. amount of time. Exactly. And now like, like if, if Lamar came out in this draft class, like there'd be no question who's the better yeah, prospect. He, between oh, yeah, he'd, be, he'd be the one on one. Yeah, um, yeah. be, teams would be trading up to get the one on one to drowse more. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're setting Willis up for massive failure and expectations at that high of a price, and it's going to do more damage to the perception of quarterbacks who run and have a different uh, pigment than most others. Uh, I want to get one more. Uh, Lamar changed NFL history, though, right? Like he, yeah. I mean, we didn't know how big of a success he would be yet, even after his rookie year, but we saw enough that like. I mean, I think Kyler is a little bit different, but he goes one overall the next year. There is not a single world in which Trey Lance goes the number three overall last year if Lamar Jackson didn't hit the way that he hit, right? There's not a world in which Malik Willis is being bandied about as a top 10 pick if Lamar Jackson didn't hit the way that he hit. Like, it is it is wild, you know? Like, I mean, heck, what was it? Uh, two years ago, Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a better prospect than Malik Willis, like in my in my estimation. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty crazy. It, yeah, Jalen Hurts would be the best quarterback prospect in this class, I think, pretty clearly. That's just why I'm so afraid of where these guys go and what teams are going to do and how they're burning such valuable picks on an early quarterback in 2022 when none of these guys look can't miss. Sure, could there be some quality NFL starters here? Yes. Do I think there's going to be anyone that's a difference maker where it's like, oh, you know what? doesn't matter how expensive they are, like a Rodgers or where you're like, you know what? doesn't matter the price. We want this guy. And I think mm-hmm. that you're looking at ceilings where it's like a Kirk Cousins. And are they a good real-life NFL quarterback? Yes. Is this the kind of guy where when you're actually paying them top dollar that you can have a, a truly Super Bowl contending roster around them? Probably not. It just don't don't draft Pickett and just wait and draft Carson Strong two rounds later. Like like that's uh, that's one of the a i a a. I don't mean I don't Carson like Strong Strong. that much, but I really don't like Pickett, so I'm I, I'm okay I with that. Just too. want Corral to be good because he's so swaggy when he plays. He's I really just swaggy. want him to be good. That's all. I just I want Tennessee got, to draft him just so we can back. Corral's up got a little bit of year. Corral's got a little bit of Baker energy. But hopefully, better play because uh, you shouldn't have said that to Tom. <laughs> hey, he does, no, I'm fine with the guy. energy, just not with <laughs> handing the ball to the other team more than any other quarterback Ugh. since he's come into the league. Uh, and then we got Toronto Dave with the the uh, Sam Howell. If the NFL agreed, mm-hmm. I would love to. I I really wish that the NFL would 
confirm my belief that Sam Howell is good, but it seems that the NFL thinks that he is not good. And yeah. they're probably right because the NFL is very bad at telling us what quarterbacks are good, but they're generally pretty good at telling us what quarterbacks are bad. Yeah. And I think a guy like Ritter, who we're going to talk about on our draft shows coming up starting next week, the countdown, not the count up. Ritter is making noise, not only in fantasy communities, but a lot of beat reporters and people mm. that are very smart in the NFL mm. seem to be pushing Ritter up boards, which I think is kind of crazy. And it did start with that really good 40 time for Ritter. Uh, look, Josh, one thing we like to do when we get out of here on shows, we like to get a little bit of info from our guests. So being from San Diego, uh, San Diego, what was your fate? What's your favorite sports memory? I know the Chargers are gone. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, but what is your what is your favorite sports memory growing up in San Diego? Oh my goodness, you're hitting me. So first, I get the fun fact wrong. All all that was on the show sheet was favorite San Diego sports memory. So yeah. this is not a growing up yeah. memory. This is it actually is ah, a recent it memory. No, it does not have to be a growing up. It doesn't memory have at all. to be. It's just how I phrase it. It does not have to be. Yes, yeah, Tom's just changing the show sheet on I'm me. I'm sorry. Constantly. It's just how I what speak. is going on. I'm so my, we we need to know about your favorite experience in Tucson, Arizona now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, my favorite sports memory is actually really recent. When so why I'm full time in the fantasy industry and how this ended up happening was spurred by COVID because I was with the San Diego Padres in their business analytics department at the time. And when it. you're doing attendance projections and customer journeys and all your analysis involves people actually showing up and buying tickets. And then you find out that for all of 2020 season, there won't be tickets being sold. They let go of you. So I was actually furloughed. That's kind of how I started uh, working with Matt even more than just on weekends was because of that. And I, I kind of found out that I was probably going to get ultimately COVID fired. But just before that happened, the, the Padres made the playoffs in 2020. Yeah. And awesome. every employee, including the furloughed ones, got to go see their playoff wildcard games when mm. there were no fans in the stands and it was just the employees in the boxes. That will for, probably forever be the, the coolest memory that I have in San Diego until or if the a San Diego sports team wins an actual world championship, which hasn't happened yet. But if that happens, that'll replace this memory. But being able to see the Padres win a playoff series and getting to hang out in the box with all the employees and having that very unique atmosphere where the stadium is just empty. Got some, got some very good memories from, from that day. So I think that's an experience I'll treasure. And I think if I wasn't in fantasy football, it would not be as good of an experience. And I'd be like, wow, I can't believe they canned me. <laughs> but fortunately I have a job that I enjoy right now, even despite that. So that that's just, it's a very happy memory is getting to hang out. And, and watching this this empty ballpark playoff series come from behind wild card win. Love awesome. Bill, Billy, do you have a favorite San Diego-related sports memory? Uh, I, I have one, and it's not really a memory uh, directly pertaining to San Diego, San Diego sports, but um, I, I had a buddy growing up who he was kind of the guy who didn't really get into local sports, so he just picked like the first team he saw on TV to become a fan of. And that was the San Diego team. So he was a Chargers fan. He was a Padres fan. And that was fine. Uh, at the time, though, he used to 
absolutely talk so much trash about Trevor Hoffman. He was like, Trevor Hoffman <laughs> is the greatest player to ever play the game of baseball. He would be so excited about him until one fateful day ahead of the 2009 season, Trevor Hoffman took a trip to the Milwaukee Brewers, my team, and I got to spend the rest of recess talking so much trash that number 600 came with the Milwaukee Brewers. So I've been riding that high for years. I'm still friends with that guy. And he's still upset that he had to watch number 600 with Hoffman as a Milwaukee Brewer. I, so I, I love that. It. That is a proud Padres moment. I feel like every time I do these, it's anti the team I'm talking about. Like I kind of did that. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I I love me some Trevor Hoffman. I'm glad he got the bulk of his career in San Diego. Me too. Love it. Yeah. Jacob, do you have I a favorite be... San Diego? No, but I, I have a very <laughs> vivid least favorite San Diego sports memory. So I'm doing that one Ooh. instead. Uh, but it'll be like a pleasant one for for Josh, I'm sure. Uh, so I find it so weird, first of all, that I like love the Chargers now uh, because I I just love Staley, even when he was on the Rams. Like I, I remember texting with like my buddies and i was like man i listened to this brandon staley interview like i think he really gets it like i think this is like this sharp defensive coach that like understands like um uh, analytics and then like he's been doing everything so fun the chargers fast and it's just like the twitter wars are endless every time they play in prime time and go for it on a fourth down that i'm like just very very invested in the chargers success now but i grew up like detesting the chargers Outside of the Patriots, by far my two least favorite teams growing up are the Chargers and the Steelers because they're the teams that have the most heartbreaking Colts defeats uh, in the playoffs. And I think the big turning point for me on like my feelings about the Chargers was definitely when Rivers came to play for the Colts because I could not stand Phillip Rivers for in my entire childhood. Uh, he was like right behind Brady and Roethlisberger. And then I had to root for him. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I like the Chargers okay now. I don't detest them anymore. But by far the toughest was back prior to fantasy football when I got like way more emotionally invested in football. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand how to control my emotions um, or like take myself <laughs> out, of, out of situations. And I was 12, the 2009 Colts uh, were, it was a really fun season. They started three and four and they won nine games in a row. And the chargers that year were total trash for the whole year. They were four and eight. And then they won four games in a row to go eight and eight. Uh, and we played them in the wild card round. And I was, I remember initially growing up as a little 12 year old socialist being extremely upset that the Chargers got to have a home playoff game against us. We were 12 and four and they were eight and eight. Um, and I thought the divisions were just completely unfair uh, and a manifestation of the capital estate. And then uh, <laughs> the game went to overtime and on a crucial third down, they called a defensive holding on Dwight Freeney. And at that time, that was the first time I'd ever heard of defensive holding from like a D lineman, like holding an offensive lineman so someone else could go through. And I was convinced that they made up a new penalty just to make my life miserable. Uh, and like two <laughs> plays later, I believe LT like ran into the end zone and scored a game winning touchdown, him or Sproles. Uh, and I was miserable. And I like sat on the, the, the floor of my kitchen crying. And my mom probably still remember this. And I was like, why would I even live if we lost this wild card game to the chargers? Um, and I like still think back on this now, double that age is that was about halfway to my current life. And I'm like, man, um, that's now how I feel when I, uh, I lose in fantasy football, that I channeled this ridiculous, unhealthy energy into an actual profession. 
uh, because I really haven't changed actually at all since that point in time. I just focused it elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I, I, I'm going to give you two. One's anti-San Diego and one's pro-San Diego. I'm going to start with the anti-San Diego. Uh, fourth and one at the end of the game, Ravens, uh, uh, Chargers playing in Baltimore. Mm. Ray Lewis shoots the gap, ends the game on a fourth and one handoff. That went to Darren Sproles for some reason on the fourth and one. Won the game, walked it off. One of my favorite. I was member standing up screaming and I threw something across my living room because I was so excited uh, for that play. <laughs> so that's my favorite against San Diego. My favorite four is I got to watch Tony Gwynn play mm. in Toronto uh, when I was younger. And that is something I talked last, I think it was last, last week talking about watching Ken Griffey and how he uh, absolutely murked the fans after scaling the wall. Gwynn was the ultimate pro. I remember he came early and he signed ball i didn't get one fuck sakes uh but he signed baseballs for fans he signed bats jerseys hats and mm -hmm. he would always talk to the fans in the outfield so getting to watch the late great tony gwynn play ball in toronto when i was younger is uh is quite possibly my my favorite moment for to for sports in san diego tony gwynn's son also a milwaukee brewer yeah mm -hmm. tony gwynn jr <laughs> tony gwynn jr he had go. a stint yeah, it doesn't quite have the uh, swing as his old man. Guys, that's going to do it. I want to thank everyone for popping by, popping into the chat. We had Toronto Dave. He's in here. He's he's in all the time. We love him so much. Yeah. How is there not being an the Anchorman Dave. reference? There actually was when I called San Diego, San Diego. So uh, obviously you weren't here at the start of the show. So uh, you told on yourself, Dave. But thanks for <laughs> everyone else. And, and, and you too, Dave, for joining us today. This is great. Episode 9. We start a rookie countdown. I'm going to do the typical what does everyone have doing because, you know, you still have to do that. Not everyone knows. Jacob? Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Fair enough, Billy. Uh, I just really saw that. Okay. People, people have seen Anchorman, right? They don't think. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. I thought that was going to get more laughs. <laughs> it was solid. Oh, she it was surprised solid. me. <laughs> I, I thought the no sell was better. A little out of left field. Well, you have to explain a joke, Jacob. It's, uh, well, Billy. I don't think I have to explain it, but then just yeah. no one reacted. And, and I thought that people just thought that I like really hated San Diego. And I got scared. <laughs> That now Jacob's the, whole... the guy on Twitter that's like, am I joking? Am I not joking? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, this is, this is what's called generalized anxiety disorder, like playing out in real time. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I just released my first mock draft that I've been doing. I did on the Lions. That was very topical because I did a could do where they took Malik Willis and a should do where they took Kyle Hamilton. So appreciate that shout out. Next one should be coming out later this week. Love that. Josh any particular work you'd like to mention? Uh, so I don't know exactly when this podcast is coming out, but tomorrow slash uh, Wednesday of this week, I'll be on the Podfather Matt Kelly's Mind of Mansion show. So I would say to, if you want more of my work, more of my thoughts, we'll have a nice two-hour show, big show sheet. We will cover a lot of dynasty stuff, a lot of best ball stuff team building, roster construction, all that is going to be covered. So tune into that tomorrow slash Wednesday. We love that. Uh, Josh, you gave us an initial time and you stuck around even longer. We love that. 
uh, it's nice to know people have a great time and, and they uh, enjoy spending time with us like the people do. As I mentioned, you're going to want to go to Underdog Fantasy, get all of that taken care of, get your deposit if you never played before, use promo code Full Tilt. you're going to want to do that. Next week, it, it is time. We started this show during the draft period when we really, really kicked it into gear. We love it. We're excited. The consensus rankings of all six members of the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast brand are in. They've been calculated. We start the countdown Tuesday next week. Video, graphs, we're doing the whole thing. We're going all out. Number 20, uh, Wandale wait. Robinson says in. You can't keep him <laughs> off the list, Billy. <laughs> as much as you tried, Jacob's already giving away some players. Guys and gals, uh, we want to thank everyone for coming in, popping by. We love and appreciate every single one of you. Go and like, subscribe to all the all things Full Tilt. And I, I like to end the show the same ways that I always do. Be kind to one another. Check in on your loved ones. Don't be a human pile of garbage. Don't be a piece of shit. Remember that clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And that your best days... Well, they're always spent tilting. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Josh.